You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. I'll give you three guesses what we're talking about. John Williams. John Williams. Yes, we're talking about Hedwig, the owl, because that is technically Hedwig's, Hedwig's, Hedwig's theme, theme <laughs> which is one of the dumb sort of accidents of history or whatever. Yeah. Like, why are they playing Hedwig's theme over this Fantastic Beasts trailer? Because <laughs> it's not Hedwig's theme. It's just the Harry Potter universe. It's the Wizarding World theme. It's like the Force theme in Star Wars is a little <laughs> bit like that. Like, it stands for more than just... It, it is the Force theme. It was theme. originally called Binary Sunset. Yeah. Well, that's what it should still be called. <laughs> <laughs> listen. Listen, listener. That's what you do. You're a listener. You listen. I talk. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. And I've got the preacher who's a teacher of right sanity right there. There you go. He's Benjamin J. Solzer. Hello. How you doing, Jay? B-J-S. Good. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Good, A. A. N-A-A. <laughs> what are you, Australian? <laughs> or whatever. Talking to you, A. All right. By S. your middle name. Hey, why don't you... A. Alverson. Why don't you introduce M or... Uh, K. K. Yeah. Oh, K. I will. <laughs> hey, K. <laughs> Jacob. K. <laughs> Folks, we're falling apart here. Hi, Jake. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Who, who is Jake? Who is Jake? Jake is uh, the preacher. Nope. What? Oh, whoops. <laughs> not, not, not that Man. easy, is it? <laughs> it's, it's very easy. He's the <laughs> pastor who's a master of sanity. Yep. There he is. That's me. Here I am. Guys, today we are talking about the latest brouhaha to attend beloved children's author. <laughs> what a condescending way to describe her. Beloved children's author, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I don't know why I'm slap happy right now, folks. J.K. Rowling, here's, here's an article from IndieWire, everybody's favorite news and entertainment website. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.K. Rowling doubles down on transphobia in International Women's Day. Maybe I'll just let Jake IndieWire describe this for us. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling has doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on her transphobic comments, this time in regards to the proposed amendments to the Gender Recognition Reform Bill in Scotland, which made headlines Days before International International Women's Day on March eighth, blah blah blah. Should I should I read about the legislation? Do we care? I don't know. For the purposes, why well, don't I? Sure. The Scottish legislation under First Minister of Scotland Nicola Sturgeon is a planned reform of gender laws that will make it easier for people to, people to legally change gender, including obtaining a gender re, gender recognition certific, certification. I can read. Removing the requirement of a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria and allowing trans people to self-identify. On legal documents, under the new rules to obtain such a certification, people need to live in their acquired gender for at least three months, three months, followed by a further three-month reflection period before the certificate is to be granted. Well, I'm glad that they're going about this sanely and rationally. The age limit for gender recognition will also be reduced to 16 from the current 18. Rawling, bum, bum, bum. Is there like a Voldemort theme from the, I'm sure there is, but it's not like a recognizable. Uh, I can't think of it. Yeah. She who must not be named tweeted on March 5th, 
Multiple women's groups have presented well-sourced evidence to Nicola Sturgeon's government about the likely negative consequences of this legislation for women and girls, especially the most vulnerable. All has been ignored. If the legislation is passed and those consequences ensue as a result, the SNP government can't pretend it wasn't warned. Rowling also retweeted the 2018 conviction of a trans woman who allegedly attempted to rape a 10-year-old girl. Rowling called it a parody. That seems like maybe not the full story of, uh, seems like a very selective way to frame Mm -hmm. that whole story. But anyway, Rawling, who identifies as a sexual assault survivor, tweeted on March 8th, someone please send the shadow minister free qualities, a dictionary, and a backbone. Happy International Women's Day. She she tweeted this after shadow minister of equalities, Annalisa Dodds, said there are open interpretations to the term women. Uh, Not only was she did she say that she wasn't sure how to uh, define female, she was also not sure how to define adult. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's right. And so Rawlings like, someone send this lady a dictionary and a backbone and a backbone, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is pretty great. And <clears throat> now the IndieWire pop up has taken over my computer, and I don't know how to make it go away because I'm a thousand Pop-ups years old. Pop-ups are so bad. Oh, you stupid thing. We perceive that you stopped scrolling for half a second and therefore... Sign up for breaking news, daily highlights, and special offers. So annoying. Rawling clapped back at International Women's Day itself. Apparent, quote, this is Rawling's tweet, apparently under a labor government, today will become we who must not be named day. Nice. It's on National Women's Day, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's, <laughs> she's, she's doing a little like uh, self, not self-parody, but... She's referencing herself. And then I believe the latest as of this recording is not actually in this article because I saw a fun one today. So I'm just pulling up old J.K. Rawlings Twitter if they haven't, Twitter hasn't canceled it for misinformation. Oh, yeah. Some lady called, of all things, Wanda Maximov tweeted, you really want your legacy to die on this hill at J.K. Rawling? To which J.K. Rawling responded, Yes, sweetheart, I'm staying right here on this hill, defending the right of women and girls to talk about themselves, their bodies, and their lives in any way they damn well please. You worry about your legacy, I'll worry about mine. Winky face emoji. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the, the tweet that came just before it. So, so Annalise Dodds says, Labor will lift women up, not hold them back, because we are part of, we are the party of equality. And Rowling responds, this morning you told the British public you literally can't define what a woman is. What's the plan? Lift up random objects until you find one that rattles? (laughs) (laughs) Now, by the way, Uh, I just think it's so fun, you know, in terms of the simulation that Annalisa Dodds is the shadow woman and equalities secretary. That is like a Harry Potter-esque sounding. (laughs) It's like not even... Potter, it's out of Dickens. Like, it's yeah, like, she was the shadow. <laughs> now, all that means, Orwell. Is, all that actually means, I believe, is that she's for the party that's not in power right now. So she's like, they have their own cabinet, so they're like the shadow cabinet. Mm, but, right. but it still sounds super cool and <laughs> it's awesome. creepy. And I'm just so glad <laughs> that horrible. the bad guy is the shadow woman. So, uh, so I, I, have we talked about J.K. Rowling before on these podcasts? I think I'm maybe- sure we've mentioned her. I mean, she comes up from time to time because she does exactly this sort of thing. And and there's like open ca- like what was the thing that the New York Times, the New York Times had ads? 
Yes. Yes. Let me, I, I have this in our part. Ads, basically advertisements campaigning to cancel rolling out of the wizarding world or something like that. If I recall correctly, it's like. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, well, uh. The New York Times campaigning against J.K. Rowling is what Nathan's, I think, I hope, going to. Well, are you talking about the ad? I'm pulling up the ad with Leanna. Is that? Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. So there's a video ad in the subway, and it has these these images that it scrolls through, and there's this kind of weird-looking trans person, and it says Leanna is imagining Harry Potter without its creator. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the attention grabber. Yeah. And then the second slide says, Liana is a harmony of flowers. Flowers? Or sorry, flavors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't feel that bad about messing that up. <laughs> Same difference. And Liana is like a multi-ethnic kind of gender fluid person in tipster glasses and a rainbow sweater. And so the first two things, Liana is imagining Harry Potter without its creator. Liana is a harmony of flavors. And then independent journalism for an independent life, New York Times. So it's just <laughs> an ad for their, yep. their product. But they're saying, if you're the kind of person who's a harmony of flavors and likes to imagine Harry Potter without its creator, then you want to be reading the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, that's a thing. But so she's got, I don't even know how to articulate that. She's got institutional weight against her. She's got the Twitter mob mad at her. She was doxxed at a certain point. Like, I don't know if it was yep. her address or whatever. It's was like really, people outside her house. Yeah. yeah. People are really angry. They accuse her of being a turf, which is to say a trans exclusionary radical, radical feminist. feminist so she's a feminist in all ways except for she she's the kind of feminist that really just likes biological women who and there is there's for a long time been a war brewing between third wave fourth wave i, I can't keep track of the waves but between the wave of feminists that are actually like we fought really hard to make things better for women and now a man can just decide that he's a woman that's not that seems unfair and so it's, it's fascinating. You can find articles. I think the New Yorker did a long, you know, one of their their long, sad pieces representing every side that was pretty interesting. But J.K. Rowling is kind of the the most vocal, well known, old school feminist who's just like, no, no, men can't be women. Here's a dictionary. Get a backbone. And so yeah. Now, Jake, you were saying. Your kids, as they come of age, they read the Harry Potter novels. Yeah. And can you just say what you said? Yeah, I just, we discussed Harry Potter on the bookening. Many years ago now. Several years ago. And I had never read Harry Potter or seen a Harry Potter movie until, and it was like a, it was like a fan thing. You know, the fans really wanted us to do Harry Potter and we got hit a reward level. They unlocked it. And so we did Harry Potter and I had never done any of it. And my kids hadn't either, obviously, because I wasn't going to... And they were younger. So I read and enjoyed Harry Potter and decided it could be a cool thing uh, with the kids. Uh, so I've, I mean, I've, I've read all of Lord of the Rings out loud to all my kids. Uh, they've all read Narnia and all uh, The Hobbit, all the things. And increasingly, as my kids sort of come of age and make their way through 
Harry Potter, I find myself appreciating that series more and more and more. I think we might have been a little too hard on it in some ways in our take on the booking for not living up to the grandeur of Lord of the Rings or riffing on things that Tolkien or Lewis may have done better or first, and then of all things having to do them in the world of the occult, which we won't litigate on this episode. We did do a good job of litigating that aspect of it on the book. Mm-hmm. Well, and also you I can go listen to that. our uh, What Should Christians Read Fantasy Parts 1 and 2 of mm-hmm. this very SOS podcast, and I think we we delve into broader principles that play there pretty well in those episodes. So you don't have to, you can listen to those episodes and you don't have to like that I let my kids read Harry Potter, but I do let them uh, read it and I like that I have them read it. And one of the things that I appreciate the most about Rowling as an author, in contrast to Tolkien or Lewis, is the fact that the stakes in Rowling are more real than they are in Tolkien or Lewis, because there are consequences. There are all kinds of ways. I mean, eucatastrophe is a beautiful, fun thing that Tolkien did. And but it's fascinating how nobody that you like actually dies in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mm-hmm. nobody that you like and nobody that's central to the plot, nobody that you love or care about actually dies. Gandalf's arguably. Yeah. Gandalf and, the but then he's resurrected or whatever, right? Or however you want to frame it. Or he didn't really, however you want to frame it. But you get Gandalf back is the point. Right. And then he's with you for the rest of the thing to the very end. Um, the... It, and we've talked uh, on Sanity at the Movies and in other places about how Disney and Pixar and tons of movies today make a lot of hay out of trying to get all of the emotions of, of, of stakes and consequences without ever having them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people are constantly dying or seeming to die and up to the point where you're crying because they die and then you get them back one way or another. Whether, I mean, it's even Olaf and Frozen 2 is going to, like, dying. But in Harry Potter, people just die. Mm-hmm. And they're people you care about. And they don't come back. And that's it. Even, even when you do get a little bit of Harry and spoilers, in at book seven with the Resurrection Stone, she goes out of her way to make it clear that they're not real. They're his memories mm-hmm. of them. So they're walking with him, but there is, they're his memories because there's no coming back from death. And she makes that clear and she makes that clear and she makes it clear throughout the, the series. Right. And I just appreciate the fact that she had the courage to kill off actual people that mattered. She had to make choices. She made them. They were bold choices. There's death. There are consequences. There are stakes. Things matter. Things change are changed by death and they can't be changed back. And I think it's really uh, great that I get to work through some of that with my kids through a fantasy, a series of fantasy novels outside of and in addition to the places where that happens in real life. Mm-hmm. And so anyhow, I just, I appreciate those books more as a dad now that has kids that are of age to, to read them. Uh, than I did even when I read them for the first time myself. Yeah, and I was an adult by the time book seven came out. I think I was a teenager when some of the earlier books were hitting, but I was never the little kid with, you know, a tome bigger than him Mm -hmm. carrying it around like you saw when those books were first hitting. And to this day, you see Mm -hmm. like kids who, you know, are getting... I mean, Lucy's that right now. Like she's carrying book five, which is the biggest book around with her everywhere she goes. She's going to soccer practice. She's carrying it with her. 
Right. She's, well, because she's going to read it in the car. She's going to read it. Like if there's another team on the field and her teammates aren't doing a thing, she's going to be sitting down reading. And then she's going to put it in her little bag. And then when I pick, go to pick her up, she'll be there reading it. Right. And she'll get in the car and she'll ask if she can turn a light on, you know, or she'll have her little watch and like be using it as a glow, as a flashlight. Right. And so uh, as an adult, I have three problems with Harry Potter. Number one, I don't think the prose is that great. And I think it's number, but who cares? We're not here to litigate that today. Number two, Rowling doesn't know how to write male authority figures. And that really hurts the characterization, particularly of Dumbledore. And I think- And especially in book five. And especially Mm -hmm. in book five. And I I think that's a pretty unforgivable sin. Number three, though, is an interesting one. I, I feel like as an adult reading the book, it does not actually have- the real kind of stakes that you want on a hero's journey at the very end. I feel like Harry, Hermione, and Ron in particular do not actually suffer enough. They are too okay. All is well. And there's Mm -hmm. not that sense of melancholy that actually somebody like Tolkien does do a good job with. An -hmm. incredible job of evoking. Right. Or or even what, what franchise did we just watch or talk about within the last year that the, the, just, the, the hero's journey famously you know joseph campbell's hero's journey it has this thing you can't go home again like yeah. your your journey has changed you mm-hmm. such that y- you've saved the village but you can't really live in the village and that's the dilemma that frodo finds with himself and, and unfortunately i don't think she quite nails that aspect and so mm-hmm. did she need harry to actually die i don't know but there had to be some sense of harry harry paid a real price to defeat right. the ultimate evil and then the degree to which you she did achieve that with the three of them and with harry's scene at king's cross and coming back she undercuts even more by that epilogue that she has right, the epilogue mm-hmm. is just bad it's, it's it just should not exist mm-hmm. i mean it is if i may be so bold it is a, a woman a writer who can't write like who, she just doesn't want to discipline her characters. It's, it's actually the same problem. It's the same problem of Dumbledore not disciplining Harry. Rowling doesn't want to discipline Harry either. And it makes the it makes the book a little bit worse than it has to be. But having said all that, the thing that I tend to forget as an adult is that... I just want to say that I agree 100% with all of those criticisms. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. And you can work through those with your kids or not as is responsible for you as a father. And we do. And, and every time we... We get through book five, we really spend time talking about how Dumbledore responds to Harry, how Harry acts, what Harry does, how it gets Sirius killed, how Dumbledore responds. And so far, my kids are with it. Yeah. And I think that they, I, I, I would tend to think that any kid worth his or her salt would be actually because kids, kids like discipline, right? Like Yeah. They, and you they, don't they, like they, Harry they, and you feel the sense they feel... I think, I mean, at least my kids, and I think it's probably true of most kids, they feel bad about what Harry did. They feel the guilt right. that Harry should feel. Right. And they want some and kind of And they want resolution, resolution. And they want, yeah. And Dumbledore denies it to them there, even though it would have yep. been awkward mm-hmm. and cringe and like it would have been one of their least favorite parts to have to read through if Dumbledore actually did talk to Harry the way he should. It still, it would have felt emotionally that 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 being said, the thing that I tend to discount, I think, as an adult, is that for kids, Tonks laying there dead, whoever those characters, Lupin, I don't remember who all lives. Remus and, dies. and Lupin, mm-hmm. Fred, 
man, that feels like such a heavy cost for them. I mean, it, it is yeah. like if Star Wars, if R2-D2 just got dismantled at the end of Star Wars and yeah. and didn't come back. It, it They are counting a heavier cost than I do as a more analytical and objective reader of these stories because they really feel it when these side characters bite the dust. Yeah, they come to love them and, and they're used to just be fun, enjoyable comic relief so they're just like friends like if if you're harry these are your friends right right because they're harry's friends and so or they're harry important figures in harry's life so they have all these placeholders that they're actually connecting these people to actively in their much richer childhood imagination so even like fred and george in book five not too long ago for lucy do their fireworks thing and get expelled from hogwarts and stick it to umbridge right and that just totally wrecked Lucy because right. on the one hand, it was a beautiful, heroic thing to do. On the other hand, Ron's older brother and Harry's friends, they're gone. They're not going to be back at Hogwarts anymore. There's no coming back to Hogwarts for them. They're gone. They just did a thing and now they're gone. And so it was just like, that. even that was pretty devastating yeah. for her. And so when you come later in the book to Sirius, the only father figure that Harry's known dying, which as an adult, you think, well, I wish that that would have hit harder. I wish that you would have done more to mm-hmm. build that relationship and, and, and deepen it. Like, and give him a really cathartic death scene. As yeah. Opposed to this he just falls into the throwing it away kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, but for them, man, that hits hard. Right. And they just, it, and yeah. And then you get to book six and Dumbledore's going to die. And then you get to book seven and then all those other characters that you love that or that harry loves it it's really really hard for them right. it's really emotionally challenging and so i want to hold i, I want to truly hold jk rowling not that she cares but <laughs> i want to hold jk rowling to account for not going as far as she could have but she did go farther than a lot of our th- authors were and my only sort of hot take about all of this is that i think I think you cannot write a book that has character if you do not have character. Like, I think what we are seeing, the courage that she has, and we can talk about what's problematic about her as a feminist and all this sort of stuff. But insofar as this is a woman who is willing to actually burn her legacy to the ground in service of what she sees is right, I, I think that that is inextricably linked to what we all, pagans, Christians, progressives, Anybody conservatives. conservatives love about Harry Potter. Yeah. She 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 actually does have a moral sense and Dumbledore and Harry and Ron and Hermione were absolutely committed to standing against the world. And turns out she kind of is too. That's pretty cool. Right. And it makes those stories and it's one of those re- and it's one of the reasons why as we wait for the franchise franchises like star Wars and things to get their act together and they don't time after time, after time, after time, it it is a lack of moral courage on the part of those creators. Like they, they don't actually believe in anything. They're not willing to actually stand for anything. And so it leaks into their stories. It, 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 it makes a difference. There's not, they can't conjure up battles of good versus evil in the same way. They can't raise the stakes the same way. And Rowling may be imperfect, but I admire her backbone. And I think anyone who's appreciated those books can't pretend like that wasn't a large part of actually what 
what makes them special. Yeah. And you have to you have to take uh, Roll- Rowling's backbone in context too. The context here for her is that the Fantastic Beasts trailer, the third installment trailer, came out last week, or was it? It was just last week, right? Yeah, I think so. it was very recently. In any case, very very recently, and that movie is coming out soon. And so she's got money on the line here. She's got a lot on the line financially in terms of how this works for her. And now that's where Cynic says, would that we all had the problem of additional billions of dollars uh, at, uh, on the line that, yeah, that's, there's a cynic on that side. There's a cynic on another side who says no press is bad press. Right. And fantastic beasts movies have paled in comparison to Potter. And so she needs whatever attention she can get. But I think in a post Trudeau's Canada world and a post Donald Trump being deplatformed world, yeah, they could take her money. Actually, she's she's not unaware of that. It takes real moral courage, even for a billionaire or whatever she is, to say things. Also, they could kill her. I mean, they are doxing her. They are. They, she had people show up outside of her house and people planning or ostensibly planning things. Also. Legacy does matter. It is important. Yep. She she does have to think like, oh man, is Harry Potter not going to be a thing anymore? Like like more. Forget about the money. Everybody loved this thing I've created, and every time I open my mouth, I'm mm-hmm. I'm stirring the waters there. I'm 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 creating trouble for that. I. It is it is entirely possible. Not that they cancel Joe Rawling, but that they cancel Harry Potter. And I think that would be a, a more devastating kind of martyrdom for her to suffer than losing her money, probably. Although, you know, money's nice. But and that money lines a lot of other people's pockets. Yeah. Besides her. Mm-hmm. That's part of her protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying she doesn't have real protections. I'm not saying it isn't easier for her in some ways. I mean, she is. But I, but I do admire somebody. I mean, you don't see... Michael Jordan ain't saying anything all that controversial. Republicans buy sneakers too, man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, There are any number of people like this that get to the top, the very top, the true 1% or 0.11% and really do have a platform. And they don't say anything. I mean, you can, you'd argue Elon Musk. You could argue Donald Trump. You could argue her. I don't even know who else you'd, you'd throw in the ring. Joe Rogan has done a lot of apologizing in the last few months. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be people on the other side of this who are happy to use their platform to virtue signal with the crowd, with the mob, with right. the crowd. So you can think of any number of athletes and actors and superstars who do that. Sure. But mm-hmm. who are going against the mainstream? Yeah, to, to be like, not- I am actually untouchable. I have all the money in the world. I have all the power. I have all the influence in the world. And therefore... I'm going to stand against the mob. You, you just don't see that. Spielberg could do it, for example, if he wanted to, but he's putting a trans character into this latest West Side Story adaptation that he did. Like, he's not mm-hmm. going to he's not gonna use... I mean, Spielberg is, is one of the only people who can just say, I am making a movie, and then it's, it's just greenlit. Therefore, mm-hmm. it, it is successful. Therefore, it is. Therefore, it exists. Yep. He can, he can just speak movies into existence. Nobody has that power. Uh, what's his face? Tenet guy doesn't have that power. James Cameron. Uh, James Cameron, maybe, kind of. Kind of, yeah. I but guess. but most of these guys, even like a Nolan or a Cameron, like they have to 
have a relationship with a studio and stuff. Spielberg can go anywhere he wants and he can just say, I speak, therefore, movie, therefore, project, therefore, actors, therefore. You don't see him. I'm, 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 it's silly to pick on Spielberg, but he's just an example of somebody who actually is at that level and could do something with it if he wants to. And the thing he wants to do is just say, wasn't the past great when every dad was like Tom Hanks and can be played by Tom Hanks? And <laughs> <laughs> isn't Tom Hanks great? <laughs> isn't Tom Hanks great? <laughs> wasn't it, wouldn't it be nice to imagine the 1930s and 40s as being a generation of Tom Hanks's doing Tom <laughs> Hanksy things? Great. Maybe that's what I would do if I had money. No, that's not what I would do. I don't know what I would do. But he's got this this autobiographical thing coming out. That'll be interesting. I'm interested. Yeah. Well, he's because also Spielberg's making a movie, so he's going to take my money. Yep. Although I he's uh, that's a not, lot of that's movies actually, where that's not fair because yeah, I I can't think of anything yeah recent that he's done. Where he's taking any money from me. Well, he, War Horse. He did see War Horse three or four or five times, Jake. Don't. Right. You do, don't, you don't, don't the War Horse. Don't short sell it, Ben. Yeah. At least, at least 13 times. Right. At least 13 times. The only recent Spielberg movies I can remember seeing are Ready Player One. Did not see. And what, like the BFG or 1010? Like what, uh, what not, else is he? Well, I guess the. Did not see BFG. Are you looking at the recent uh, filmography? Uh, recent filmography. I was trying to get to it. Here we go. Oh, that's weird. Uh, yeah. So I think we were all with him probably through AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. Yep. The Terminal, I never saw. I don't think I saw The Terminal. I saw War of the Worlds nope. in Munich and Indiana Jones. I saw Jones. War of the Worlds in Indiana Jones. And Tintin. Yep, Tintin. But then you have a interesting run here starting in 2011, War Horse, never saw. Nope. Lincoln saw love. Yeah. I think is fantastic. Really? I've never had any desire to go back to it though. I I've love never it. seen it. I, I think it's a wonderful movie and I don't care if people are like, eh, Lincoln was stupid. I think the movie captures him and all his complications. <laughs> uh, Bridge of Spies. I have seen, didn't care seen that much. BFG. It's all that. It's fine. Posts. Just didn't care. Ready no, Player One. I have seen West Side Story. I have seen. I haven't seen it. It was good, minus that trans character. And then The Fablemans is coming out in 22. So, and then apparently he has optioned Steve McQueen's Bullet and wants to do another movie set in the Bulletverse. So, all right. I don't know what. Probably get a great car chase out of it. I, I would hope. But yeah. Okay. There you go. That's Steven Spielberg's filmography. <laughs> <laughs> How do we like their title, uh, his titles? He's got pretty great titles. So, yeah, folks, that's a reference <laughs> to an abandoned episode that you can listen to over at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity, place where we sometimes post rejected episodes. And this episode began as an episode. <laughs> yeah, it had a good concept, but it just mm -hmm. went nowhere fast. Right. I think so, it actually, oh, it went I'll nowhere slowly. <laughs> it was pretty slow. Yeah. So the idea was that we would do a retrospective on two years of COVID, starting with the March 13th declaration of a national emergency by Donald Trump, followed by the March 17th first national recommendations that the governors all fell in line with and just trying to piece together what the world was like before then and after. But the conceit that we came up with or I came up with was that we would go through our episodes before and after. And so... kind of worked it, at it, first. Well, we we... We uh, we had agreed to just turn on the mics and go and see if we couldn't piece something together. And it was what I grabbed a hold of. 
And so we started going through the episodes and thinking that we would have some kind of placeholders to both place us and place the world and reconstruct some things and see how rapidly things have changed on us, how unrecognizable the post-2020 world is exactly two years later. Right. But then... Turns uh, out we don't talk a lot of politics, at least especially in those early days. And we were talking about more broad cultural issues, so it wasn't giving us a lot of placeholders. But then there was another There's <laughs> another that issue, and that was that I hate every single almost every single episode title we've ever done because I cannot, I have no idea what it's saying or what the episode's about. And that's hi- hi- hyperbole, I know. But anyhow, I was just increasingly annoyed with our episode titles as we went along. So if you want to hear Jake doing a running commentary, <laughs> basically by himself, <laughs> talking, attack the crow, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I often, and part of, I guess part of maybe my confusion too is I never listen to anything we do after we do it and Mm -hmm. I never bother looking at what the episode titles end up becoming and so I don't even have like some kind of I have to remember the conversation in order to have a an understand and then the titles do absolutely nothing to yeah I mean I think to be fair for our listeners and I don't blame you for not being one of them but because you were here in real life but for for our listeners, I think... Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Uh, for our listeners, I think they do have more connective tissue. Like, they, they might actually remember what some of those conceits and mm-hmm. things were. The Cuisinart and the Shark's Maw and Attack the Crow and all the wonderful titles we've had over the years. <laughs> we've also kind of vacillated between clickbaity titles and artistic titles. So... You can, at any given point in our history, you can, and artistic <laughs> is a very is a generously good, used a word. word for, <laughs> <wow>. um, <laughs> evocative titles. I don't know what word you like there. But at any given point in our history, you'll see more of like a six things to, or should Christian. Yeah. I think I hate, I think I prefer weird things like Attack the Crow and the Cuisinart and the Shark's Maw to... Should Christians do something that they obviously shouldn't? Six question marks. I hate that kind of thing right. on a visceral level. But, you know, whatever. I agree. I like all of our discussions. So, yeah. And you're here listening because you do too. Right. So. And if you're good at titling things quickly <laughs> and you want to be our titler, then reach out. And that's not a joke. Because <laughs> <laughs> glad to offload that. I'm always trying to uh, crack the code of how to title things such that we get good. What do they call it? Uh, SEO search engine optimization, but also not do the whole like, is Satan our friend? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're gonna talk for forty five minutes about how the answer is no, he's not. <laughs> we're gonna talk for forty five minutes about something else. <laughs> so about that, something that's else, gonna yeah. crop up somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity is the place to hear that wonderful excursion into failure and a lot of other fun things rejected episodes all of our skits that we've ever done are there me and ben have been pretty faithfully posting videos every week we're trying to do some more behind the scenes kind of stuff so yeah go check it out and most importantly what whatever whether any of that stuff sounds intriguing to you or not you'll be supporting this show you'll be supporting the Things like The Ville and Chip and Lance are more creative endeavors. So 
Go there, patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Sign up for as little as $5 cup of coffee a month. We really appreciate it. And until next time. Half a gallon of gas. Half a gallon of gas. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Till next time. Stay sane. (laughs) 